We are in this series, yeah, the children may go. I just figured that as soon as you saw me start to preach, it would be natural. Um, we are in this series, Rest in Peace Church, and we're looking at the fact that the church uh, is not preaching itself ever, but it's preaching Christ who we seek to follow. And we are in this series of seven letters that Jesus revealed to his church through the Apostle John. And all seven of the churches got to read each other's mail uh, because they're being called back to that standard of faithfulness in Jesus. And we come today to the church at Thyatira. And I want you, as we read the word of God and as you hear it, uh, you'll hear uh, in this passage what is in most of them. You'll hear uh, a commendation of what's right with that church. And then you'll hear a confrontation of what's not right, and they have some serious issues. But then you'll also hear this consolation or this call uh, to embrace everything that is there for them. Uh, and so uh, it begins with all, like all of these letters, um, begin to the churches. Um, and again, up on this screen, wow. Um, the word of God. And he says, whoever has ears, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious. Oop, is that the one up on there? To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. Uh, I will give that person a white stone and a new name written on it, uh, known only to the one who receives it. But to the church... Uh, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, white, write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes uh, are, um, whose eyes are blazing fire, and whose feet are burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, and your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless. I have this against you. You tolerate this woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, but by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food devoted to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely until they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and who does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one, the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
Let us pray. Father, we receive this text and we pray that you would reveal yourself anew and afresh through this text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, isn't that a great Mother's Day text? There's a woman, Jezebel, teaching bad things, and Jesus says she has gone so far that if she doesn't repent, I'm going to not only kill her, but I'm also going to kill her children. Happy Mother's Day, Jezebel. Um, And the power of this text shows that in a church that had so much going right, that because they had tolerated false teaching, and this false teaching happened to come through a woman. I just want to say most of the false teachers in the New Testament are men, so there has to be at least a little opportunity, uh, but that if they continued to listen to her false teaching, that there would be great and dire consequences. And I want you to see how Jesus introduces himself first to this church. He says that he has eyes like blazing fire and feet of burnished bronze, that he sees all, that he is the judge of all. And though this church had serious, serious defections from him, Jesus, first of all, points out three things about them. He says, I know your faith, I know your love, and I know your works. And they were significantly good things because Jesus said, your works of late are even greater than your works in the past. They were growing, they were advancing, they were developing. Uh, This is a powerful statement to say that they were doing more than they had done when they first came to faith in Jesus Christ, and they were persevering in that good work. This is a congregation that is moving forward. Undoubtedly, their sphere of ministry was expanding, and things were going well for them. But there was something unseen that was threatening to rot them at the core, and that was that they had accepted, and they were listening Uh, to a false teacher. And Jesus here, again, I thought about calling this sermon on Mother's Day, when Jesus gets so angry at mom, he's going to kill her and her kids. That'd be a good seeker-friendly title of the sermon. But here what we see is it's very important, the role that we have, any leadership role, and this, by the way, is not an actual literal solitary figure of a woman named Jezebel. Nobody would have named their kid Jezebel, just like probably no one would, of us would name our kids Judas, right? Or uh, name your kid Benedict Arnold, <laughs> you know, or name your kid something like that. It's symbolic. And what the Spirit is saying, what Jesus is saying in this letter to them is that they had accepted somebody who had usurped this role of teacher and teaching in the church. And having usurped that role, it says that she called herself a prophetess. So it says she calls herself this, but is not. And prophecy in the New Testament, and there were many instances of it, you can read more about it in 1 Corinthians 14, was a role that was subordinate or underneath teaching. What the someone who brought a prophetic word, and you can simply, that word prophecy kind of makes people think of, thus saith the Lord, Isaiah, Old Testament, uh, this is the very direct channel of the word of God. Um, That is not what it means in the New Testament. Um, Prophecy in the New Testament is defined literally in 1 Corinthians 15.3 as a word spoken for comfort, encouragement, and strengthening. It was really the essence of applying what was derivative out of Scripture and saying, here are applications for comfort, encouragement, and strengthening. And that word we were seeing in 1 Corinthians 14 was to be evaluated. How does it line up with the Scriptures? 
And this particular teaching had all of a sudden come into the church and it was edging out the role of real authoritative line by line teaching from the scriptures. And it was appealing to uh, two things in their context. What we know about Thyatira is that uh, it was a city uh, of lots of guilds of trades. If you were working in Thyatira, you had to go and get approval for your occupation to show some kind of certification. Yes, even in the ancient world, you know, building contractors, um, leather workers, uh, potters, um, chefs had to have some kind of certification and they joined a guild for that certification and those guilds kind of became your community. Uh, there's lots and lots of records of this in the ancient world, but uh, imagine again somebody wanted to go, you know, pull a building permit. They had to show that they were a licensed contractor and they were part of these guilds. We have lots of records of this in Thyatira, and we also have records that these guilds often assembled around different idols and the worship of idols, and that deteriorated into these kind of crazy, uh, like think of the worst possible fraternity type parties, but deteriorated into immorality, deteriorated into idolatry, and yet membership in the guild was not an option. So if you wanted to work your job, if you were a carpenter or a leather worker or potter or, or you had some field of work, you had to be in the guild. And they were, Christians were immediately faced, once they said, Jesus is Lord, how do you deal with those obligations when you've got to be part of the guild to work? And so um, what Christians had been called to and what most of the church, and again, this was simply a portion of the church that was collapsing and compromising with these competing claims, but most of the church was saying, when it comes to the worship of idols or to sexual immorality, we will not participate. It's kind of the question that comes to all of us. Who is the authority in your life? You know who's in authority in your life when the claims of the authority you profess to serve Jesus collides with the claims of the world. When those two claims meet, the claims of Jesus and the claims of the world, which one gives way determines who your authority is. And most of the congregation in Thyatira said, our authority is the Lord Jesus. We will not engage in idolatrous practice or worship. We will not engage in sexual immorality. Um, and in living that way, they bore a huge cost for it. I think that's in the commendation of Christ to most of this church when he says, you're persevering in faith and love and in good works. But now they have someone who should have been in the role underneath teaching, evaluated by the word of God, who has come in with a, with a new teaching saying what undoubtedly relaxed the tension and the conflict and the cost of what these believers were paying, saying it's okay to go along. And this teaching began to get uh, an accepted, began to get oxygen and, and to be accepted into the church. And Jesus confronts that congregation and says, you've got to stop, you've got to watch who you listen to. And, you, and you've got to make sure that your allegiance is to me. And, and so he, uh, he comes across in, this doesn't sound like the Jesus meek and mild look upon this little child, but I'll tell you who it sounds like. It sounds like the Jesus 
who delivered the seven woes to religious corruption in Matthew 23. In fact, I just would suggest to you on your own, if you're a Bible reader, and I hope you all are, that if you want to read these letters to the churches and, and hear the consistent voice of Jesus, you can do nothing better than read Matthew 23, where Jesus said things like, woe to you, uh, scribes and Pharisees who travel over land and sea to make a convert and then make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. It's that Jesus. <laughs> Uh, it's woe to you who wash the outside of the cup, but inside is filthy. It's that Jesus who is speaking here. And it's, it's the Jesus, uh, again, who is worked up about the misrepresentation, the hijacking of his church, uh, and really the hijacking of the way individual lives are going to be set on a on a trajectory of what following Jesus looks like, and, he, and so he has to intercept it with the strongest of language. In other words, the, the representatives who should be the healers, who should be the ones who stand up for holiness and righteousness, have compromised, capitulated, and have fallen in line right behind them, perhaps in, a, in a, a desire to appeal to the world, but probably most likely to take the pressure off themselves. To, to understand Jesus' passion for this, um, you probably need to take any serious occupation. If, if you're in the medical community this morning, or if you're a doctor, I want to just ask you, what do you think of this ad for Camel cigarettes? This is not that long ago. <laughs> This is within the realm. Some, there are probably some individuals here who chose to start smoking when these ads were going around. <laughs> More doctors smoke camels. Um, here, here's another one from a dentist, Viceroy's. A, a dentist recommending a cigarettes. And we maybe can you know, excuse some of this based on you know, ignorance. There's increasingly understanding that these, these producers, manufacturers, companies were culpable of seducing a market knowing that it is wrong. But there's, there's no one who gets more angry about malpractice than a doctor. Uh, there's no one, uh, who, medical malpractice than a doctor, than someone giving fraudulent uh, wrong advice. And here Jesus is saying, you've got to beware of the power of who you listen to. Um, second line of this uh, to pull out something a little more modern, is the endorsements of athletes. Since we may end up playing him in the NBA championship, um, it is kind of suspicious that LeBron James, who's an incredibly dedicated athlete, um, was the front person for all kinds of the worst junk food. I am sure that if you, know, if you want to play like LeBron James, if you want to have the athletic capacity of LeBron James, you cannot eat like LeBron James endorsements, right? Uh, or, or here's one that basically uh, assembles spokesmen. It's got, we've, we've got every sport here. <laughs> Serena Williams and uh, tennis uh, Shaq O'Neal for, for basketball, uh, Manning for NFL, uh, Paula Ono for baseball. We got, we got them all, and they are advertising triple-stuffed Oreos. I mean, how many of you think, like, hey, if I want to be a professional athlete, if I want to have a body that is, you know, able to perform and do all these incredible things, I've got to do triple-stuffed Oreos. 
In fact, there's, there's a video, I won't inflict it on you, but it shows them in an Olympic contest of eating the stuffing out of Oreos. This is what they're doing. And, and the reason I show you that is it's very possible to have leading spokesmen or behaviors endorsed uh, that are not going to get you where uh, that polished spokesman who's on a platform is not going to get you where you think they're going to get you. The final one of these I'd present to you, you guys know what this is? They're watching, they're watching nuclear bombs being tested. <laughs> and they're, uh, they're gazing through some protective gear, but what they don't know is all that fallout, all that dust. Um, you know, I mean, this was a thing. Did you know that? Like they'd pull up their paneled station wagons and get out of their car and you know, have the barbecue and the picnic and, and sit with the kids and watch bombs being tested that had nuclear fallout. Um, and the reason I set all that before you is it, it's so important that we are careful who we listen to, who we listen to. Um, we can tend to be taken aback by Jesus' anger here, um, but we need to understand there is an anger that if we don't possess it, we really are not walking with Jesus and we are not showing what holiness is. It's Rebecca Pippard uh, who has written some excellent books, was more of an evangelist about 20 years ago. And she says this, she says, we tend to be taken aback by the thought that God can be angry, that God can say things like, unless she repents, I will put her on a bed of sickness. Unless she repents, uh, I, I will uh, kill her children. And here, by the way, are not physical children unless they were raised by her, grew up, and then chose to follow her. He's talking about those who line up behind a leader and do what the leader is doing. He's talking about um, spiritual children. He's talking about people who are influenced by a teaching and then find themselves living out of the implications of that teaching. And we, we live in a culture, right, that says the problem with our world is that it's too intolerant, right? <laughs> And now we come into collision with a Bible where God says, no, the problem with this church is that it's too tolerant. Uh, in fact, it's, this church is the mirror image of the first church in this series at Ephesus. What was Ephesus known for? Ephesus was known, and God said this is a good thing. God says, Ephesus, I like you because you do not tolerate false apostles. And you will not, so you test them. So Ephesus had the ability to theologically test and biblically discern whether somebody who claimed to be a missionary, that really is what the word apostle means in this context, a, an authoritative messenger of Christ. Ephesus was like, we're going to line them up behind the Bible and we are going to discern whether they're telling us the truth according to the way it's been revealed in Jesus or not, or we are not going to let them have a platform. We're not going to welcome them to our church and we're going to call them out and say, you are not an apostle. Because apostolicity is not based on a claim or relationship. Apostolicity is really tested by whether it holds to apostolic truth. Amen. And, and so Jesus says to Ephesus, I like you because you won't tolerate false apostles. You test them and you also hate the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which is a false teaching. Jesus says, I like that about you. I like that you're not tolerant and that you hate the right things. That's a countercultural message, isn't it? Because we live in a world that says all we need is more tolerance. And God says, no, the problem in our world is often that we tolerate 
the wrong things. And we live in a culture that takes pride in our tolerance of the excesses of others. So, so what, is, what is God's problem here? And here's what Pippert says. She says, love always detests what destroys the beloved. Real love stands against deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. Human love here offers a real analogy. The more a father loves his son, the more he hates in him the drunkard, the liar, the traitor. Anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is, and the final form of hate is indifference. And so there's no one who hates these distortions or these detours away from what will preserve a healthy and righteous life than a person who loves them. I was raised by really loving parents and a father, but I mean, I remember the first time I saw a kind of holy rage in my dad, and it was I tried to perpetuate a lie, a bold-faced lie. I mean, I must have been five or six, and I lied about neighbors' kids. As my parents were preparing to go out on, on a rare date, I said, by the way, we have to watch Jeffrey and Scott because their parents are leaving, and they said that they need us to babysit. <laughs> My dad asked me to confirm that one more time. He gave me an opportunity to repent. <laughs> I did not repent. <laughs> and I swiftly, <laughs> in the sight of Scott and Jeff and my sisters, experienced uh, my father's wrath against lying. Why? Because my father knew that if, if any child, and particularly you know, looking at his child, became accustomed to lying to get through life, it would disintegrate every good value in life. And, and so there is, there's no one who hates these kind of things than someone who, who loves someone and sees them taking steps that are going to destroy them. It was Leo Tolstoy who, who put it this way. He says, it would be a sin to help you destroy yourself. It's, you know, tolerance. We're called to tolerance, but tolerance is such an imposter when it comes to love. Love actually wants to walk alongside and really seek the best and invite others to enjoy that. And, and here's the reality. So none of us are on our high horses, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you would raise your hand yes to this question if I said, have you ever known uh, a desire that comes into your heart and your life that if it were granted, it would lead you to destruction? Okay, some are just raising their hands. This is an honest place. I love that. This is a safe place. <laughs> we have all known desires that if we were to pursue them even, would lead to absolute destruction. And that is why Jesus stands up in, in this situation and says, uh, what is really a powerful biblical word, but it is a prophetic word. And, and I'm using prophetic in this way. The prophet challenges the status quo and calls individuals to imagine a, a far, far better reality in the world that is concrete and the world that is certain and the world that is coming. And many times what has happened in the church, and I think particularly in the American church, is that we often are better at appealing to culture and reflecting culture than we are challenging culture. It's become particularly true as churches focused on, you know, accommodating their audience, reaching audiences, removing obstacles that get in the way of Jesus. I'm all for that. We're all for removing every obstacle that gets in the way of Jesus. But let's just be very careful that we don't remove some of the obstacles that actually are Jesus. 
Our mission statement when it says we want to make it simple to connect with Jesus and each other, that's a great mission statement. Just make sure that we don't remove, that we don't make simple mean that there will never be any challenge there. <laughs> um, there will be challenge there. And, and we need to be careful that we never ever remove that challenge. And so we work hard to remove all those challenges. Right? We have an awesome facility and, and this place bids welcome and our coffee is, it definitely, people say, this doesn't taste like church coffee. This is actually good, <laughs> you know? Um, it, it actually is good. We, we remove that. Our, our music, man, I wouldn't mind listening to that music. When I first dialed into this place about a year and a half ago and was listening, I said, like, wow, these musicians, man, they can play. That's awesome. Um, I, would, I would put that on my radio. I'd put that on, on my player and listen to it all the time. We, we don't have offensive music because it's not done well. We have a cool facility. We have good children's ministry. We have friendly people welcoming people out in the hallway. All, all of that is good. We do all of that so people can come into this place and not be offended. But then it's my job to offend them with everything in the word of God. <laughs> but that is actually meant for us, not against us, Right? And what this church was doing is they were, they were collapsing and they were simply reflecting the culture. And we have to ask ourselves that question. We have to not let ourselves off the hook and just repent of sins we're not afflicted with or sins that we're not tempted by and say, can that be true of us? One theologian put it this way. They said that Christians sought to make America Christian and what they succeeded in doing was they made Christianity American. That's always the danger, isn't it? That we, we turn the Christianity that we've fallen into just a, a reflection of what the culture, and we show that we're more baptized into our culture than we are really seeking people to be rescued from that culture by being baptized into Christ. And the church needs the resurrected and reigning Savior to reform us. This whole series, Rest in Peace Church, is really about the fact that the church can get so far away from what Jesus meant for us to be that we really, it's irrelevant for us to be praying for revival because if we prayed for revival, we would simply get a larger projection of the disobedience and the, the lack of interest in really following the Lordship of Jesus Christ that we are doing. The kind of boldness that this series has, Rest in Peace Church, is really saying that Bootleg Christianity doesn't need a revival, it needs a burial. So that God can resurrect it and turn it into something else. And so the challenge for us is to say, where have I been listening to things that are outside of real teaching? I'll, I'll get a few things off my chest here this morning. This is, if you can receive this if it helps you, and if, if not, I don't mean to be negative on this, but when I look at like Christian bookstores, and I know there are very few of them these days that have, actually have open doors, but if I look just at the Amazon list, and I look at the books that are read and chosen, um, and then just look, even look at authors and the seriousness of the intent, I, mean, I find like, I mean, I mean, I want to write on the, on the folder of a lot of these books, if I, if I could write on the actual books, I want to say, you know, in case of starvation, eat this book, because it's just full of baloney. It's just, it is, it, it is not informed by scripture, by serious and careful prophetic thought. It's, you know, and I've seen that. I've seen that in years when we've had book drives sometimes for taking books to prison. Not here, but, you know, 
taking books and, and furnishing prison libraries. And I look at these books and I'm just like, man, only like one out of every 20 do I think I would want someone to bother reading. So many of the books are about enlisting Jesus to be our personal assistant so that we can have some help to get our will ratified in the life that we're living and directing. And, and so we, we need the force of a Jesus who actually says, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking for what is genuine me because this is what will really advance you. And here it's saying that the temptation for them was to relax their standards because the standards were the place where there was the, the battle was raging. And I want us to ask that question, where are we tolerating something that Jesus says, this doesn't belong in your faith? Where have we relaxed the standard of Jesus? Where have we said, yeah, that was, that was the norm in the book of Acts, but we're, this is the way we do it. You know, we've got the 2% tithe, used to be 10%, but we've cut it to 2 <laughs> The average giving of the committed Christian who, who is like committed to their church is no different than the person who goes to no church. Overall, that average. Time spent in really being formed by scripture, in being committed in faithful commitment. That means you show up whether it's convenient or not. The kind of, of relationships that you, you cling to each other day in, day out, those, those things are, they are more and more countercultural, not just in the world, but even in the church. And so Jesus here is, he's saying, be careful who you listen to, but, but note this, he even gives those false teachers, and again, I don't think there's a literal woman named Jezebel, but he says, I'm giving them time to repent. Repentance is the key, and repentance applies to absolutely everybody. And even, even this is a mercy. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to send her a signal that all is not okay because she's going to lose her physical health. I'm going to throw her on bed to give her a time out. I'm giving her a time out. It's a mercy to let, let the false teachers think this through. Do you, do you see how gracious this is? I, I told her, repent. She won't repent. I continue to call her to repentance all day long. He holds out his hands uh, seeking the repentance of these individuals. And he gives her an in less and in less and in less, but he says, all he's asking is repentance. We, we don't know the final answer as to what happened in this particular church, but what we do know is that if repentance was listened to, then there was a complete and thorough forgiveness, welcoming, abundant life, arms of the Savior embracing, and the complete healing of every wrong that this false teaching brought. Repentance is a gracious, gracious warning, and it's something that includes absolutely everyone. It's why we as a church can say, there is no one excluded. You know, it, it would be ridiculous for a hospital to say, sick people not welcome. But it certainly is not going to allow practices that make you sick to be practiced in a way that transmit that sickness throughout the whole hospital. I like what Brennan Manning Wrote, wrote a powerful book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. How many of you know the book The Ragamuffin Gospel? It's a worthwhile book. And he says this, he says, I believe that among the countless number of people standing in front of the throne and in front of the Lamb, that they are gonna be dressed in white robes and holding palms in their hands. And he says, I will see everyone from the prostitute from the Kit Kat Ranch in Carson City, Nevada to the member of the KKK. Why? Because they have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the lamb. It doesn't exclude anybody. 
every single person can wash their robes and have them made white. He doesn't say make your robe white. He says wash your robes and have them made white. That is, that is his promise. Amen. That is his calling. And I would just say this morning, if you're aware, you've been listening to the wrong counselors. You've been counsel shopping. You know what counsel shopping is. You talk to a few people, they tell you what you don't want to hear. And so you keep talking to, until you can find the one person who seems to kind of relax the resistance and tell you what you want to hear. And then you're off. We all do it. It's not just young children who counsel shop between mom and dad to catch somebody at a weak moment to get permission to do something frivolous. We all do it. And here he's saying, be careful who you listen to. Jezebel was not even an official teacher, and they were formed in listening to her, forming and listening to, the, to these teachers. But what I love that Jesus says is he says, it's so worth it. He says, to the one who overcomes... He says, I will give you the bright morning star. Now, as good, last week we saw, you know, I'm going to give you a white stone with your name on it. I'm going to give you hidden manna. I'm going to give you, it almost seems like the ante gets upped a bit. You know, I, I know that we have um, marketing that says that we, you can get a star named after you that is, you know, if you have a high-powered telescope or a picture of it, you can, but they don't really own that star. Here Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you the, the bright and morning star. And uh, first of all, I just want to admit, I don't know exact. I can't say with full confidence what this is. I can just say, it sounds pretty marvelous. <laughs> I'm going to give you the bright morning star. But what is interesting is the book of Revelation closes in Revelation 22, verse 16. And you know what it says? Jesus says, I am the bright and morning star. And probably that morning star that, that depicted Jesus as the one who first is, is this, the signal of the brightness of the morning that is to come it probably is even the planet Venus. If you think like, okay, God here is promising planets for perseverance. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? <laughs> you persevere in your life, I'm gonna give you a planet. You persevere through this temptation, you follow me, you show the world that I'm better than gratifying the momentary um, indulgences of, of your momentary desires in the heat of your temptation. You follow me instead. You persevere. I'm going to give you a planet. That's how gracious Jesus is. That lines up with the Jesus saying, the one who is faithful, even in the small things, I'm going to make the ruler of great cities. I don't know which city you want. I think I want Hatteras Island, North Carolina, right on the coast. That's what I want. <laughs> but here Jesus is saying, not even cities. He's saying, I'll give you a planet, basically. I'll give you a planet. Why does he say that? He says, because he's worth it. I, I have never met the person who, who, after the heat of the temptation and the decision or the, the, the relapse or... or or the giving in is, is over and regains sobriety, who says, oh, it was worth it. <laughs> I've met, and I mean, names churn before me, almost like in a Rolodex of people who say, oh, this was so, this was so stupid, so short-sighted. I sold a birthright for just like a, a mess of pottage. I sold what, what my identity, I want to bring it back. And I've met with people and I've wept with people and I've shared with people who find Jesus on the other side of that. And yeah, he does. He is the restorer. He loves to restore what, what locust or, or years of turning away from him is. But I have never actually ever, ever met someone 
who persevered, who walked with Jesus, who chose the way of walking with Jesus, who chose radical obedience for the kingdom, who sacrificed and said it wasn't worth it. I haven't met that person. Because Jesus here is saying, I think, and he discloses that. He says, uh, at the end of Revelation 22, where he says, on the bright and morning star, he says, behold, uh, my reward is with me. I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. And the spirit and bride say, come. And, and let the one who hears say, come. Um, for I am the bright and morning star. And so I begin just with this challenge. Who are you listening to? Because our, our destiny, Jesus says that listening to him is better. <laughs> who are you listening to and, and who are you influenced by in terms of walking with the kingdom? I would just encourage you, find someone who you know is going flat out, who is manifesting some sacrificial, radical, consistent obedience to the Lord Jesus and latch onto them and put bonds of steel, like, man, padlock that relationship. And I want to say, not only find that person, be that person. Be that person who says, for, the, for my life, what I want to do is I want to be a demonstration that serving Jesus is actually better, that choosing to obey him is actually better. I close with this story, and it really is a contrast um, between two ancient pieces of literature. In Homer's Odyssey, it tells the, uh, the adventures of Odysseus, and one of his foes uh, were um, the siren voices that were these maidens, these supernatural winged maidens on an island, that as he is on this boat, these maidens are surrounded actually uh, by their victims, and they actually have the the, the rotted corpses of those sailors that they had been able to seduce by their songs to leave the path of their navigation and come over to this island and, and to lodge with them. And as Odysseus comes within the hearing of these sirens, when he first gets uh, a hint that this is where they are, do you know what he does? He, he says, we're going we're gonna to put wax in the ears. We're, we're going to pour wax in our ears so that they, we cannot hear the seductive siren call. But then he tells the commanders of his ship, because he's the commander, he gets to decide where it goes because he can feel the power of that music. He says, I want you to actually latch me to the mast of the ship. And he says, if in the heat of confusion, I say, let's take a detour, let's go over here. I just want you to tie the ropes tighter to me and, and continue on course and not listen to me. And I want to say, sometimes that's what being in the body of Christ, sometimes that's what Christian friendship is about. Sometimes that, that is why we need each other. That's why these families who are raising their children are saying, we want to be part of a community so that we walk together. Because if you haven't noticed, it's getting a little more crazy out in the world. And we're going to have to be a bit more countercultural in many ways than other generations. Have you noticed? Yes. And so sometimes we latch ourselves to the mass and we tell people like, hey, if I'm telling you why I'm sane and sober, I want to follow Jesus. Hold me to that. So that when I'm acting insane and not so sober, you say, don't follow that nonsense. We're all tempted that way. We're pulling you back in. That's one way to get through it. 
But there's a, there's a contrast to Odysseus and Homer, and it's another ancient ver- story. Apollonius of Rhodes tells about the sirens. They show up in a few places in ancient literature and about this sailor in the Argonauts' voyage named Jason. And Jason uh, is like Odysseus. He's warned about the sirens. And he says, in your navigation, you're going to be seduced by these voices that tell you to go a different direction. Um, make sure that you don't follow them. Make sure when the breezes, you know, cause their songs to come into your ears that you, you take care. They're called a lily-like voice that cannot be uh, resisted. And so he's on his ship and he's getting ready to do, um, you know, every act of resistance he can. But there's, a, there's another man on his ship named Orpheus. And Orpheus has a legendary gift for the gift of song, and he pulls out his string of lyre, and he plays a rippling melody that disperses the seductive songs of the sirens, these seductive sirens, so that their ears may be filled with the voice, and his lyre actually overcomes the maiden's voice. He displaces it not by simply willpower, which sometimes is all we have. I'm not down on willpower. Every means that we can use to keep ourselves on track, I think, can be used and sanctified. But here's something more powerful. He displaces the seductive voices with a voice and a melody that is more beautiful by far. And folks, I believe that is what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm going to give you the morning star. He's saying, I'm not just a path that is more dutiful. I am the one who actually makes your way more beautiful. And if, if, if God is simply duty to us, uh, we'll, we'll be tempted to let go, to not hold on. But when Jesus becomes beauty to us, when we say, this is actually the abundant, beautiful, purpose-filled life. This is the life that's in accordance with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. This, this is a life that really is the life that at the end of the days, I'll be glad I lived. This is the life that leads to that opportunity because, because it is Jesus. Jesus is saying your, your duty and, and your pleasure when you're in sin, they look like they're going different directions. But he says, when you see, when you see who I am, you, you see, you see your, your pleasure and your duty is also your beauty. It, it's Jesus. And it's the life that he intends for us. And he says it's, it's worth it. I'm going to just call us in this closing song as I pray um, to commit ourselves to Jesus as the one who really makes our life beautiful. And as we sing about speaking the word Jesus, speaking the name Jesus over our lives, to just release to him anything that is not of him in our lives and to turn from it and to live for him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, each of us need to take this word into our lives. And look at any place, Lord, give us the grace, we ask you, give us the grace to honestly assess where we have tolerated things in our lives that you would say, let that go. Renounce it. Turn your back on it. And where we have refused to embrace what it means to persevere, even at the cost of sacrifice, to walk with you for what is truly worth it. Lord, would you make us a people, individuals, and a church body that lives that out for your name and for your sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
to join us. Thank you.
So we go, let's lift our hearts up to the one who wants to give us the bright and morning star, Jesus. Uh, now may the God of peace sanctify you, make you like Jesus through and through, body, soul, and spirit. May he do this. Faithful is the one who calls you, and he will bring it to pass through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.